Welcome to The Mushroom Show. This is episode 20. My name is Tony Shields and this is the place where you want to be if you want to stay on top of all the cool things happening in the world of mushrooms. It feels pretty awesome to be at episode number 20, almost a full year of The Mushroom Show, but our goal is to just keep making it better and better, giving you a front row seat to the mushroom revolution. On this episode of The Mushroom Show, we'll be taking you on a quick trip to the Telluride Mushroom Festival, a place high in the mountains of Colorado where hundreds of mycophiles get to and celebrate a mutual fascination with the kingdom fungi. We're also going to be diving into a tragic mushroom mystery in Australia that has captivated a nation, left three people dead, and left many others asking questions trying to separate fungi fact from fungi fiction when it comes to the infamous death cap mushroom, Amanita phylloides. As always, if you like mushrooms, if you like the mushroom show, if you want to help the mushroom show grow and help spread the spores, please go ahead and hit that like button. Also, if you want to see future episodes of the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button as well. Let's jump into the show. On to our first story. Now imagine what would happen if mushroom lovers from all over the world met in a single location high in the Rocky Mountains for the sole purpose of celebrating fungi. It sounds like a crazy idea, but maybe it's just a crazy awesome idea. It's an annual event called the Telluride Mushroom Festival, and if you weren't into mushrooms, you might think that doesn't really make a ton of sense. How could you have an entire event dedicated to mushrooms? But as we know, with mushrooms, there's so much to learn and so much to explore, and anyone that has been to this event totally gets it, which is why I wanted to take you with me on a quick trip to the Telluride Mushroom Festival this year. 2023 is the 40th third annual mushroom festival. So it's been going on for quite a while. It started really small, but it's been growing a little bit every single year and it's turned into quite the event. So I was super excited to check it out. Let's roll the clip. So I'm on my way up the long windy road to Telluride for the 43rd annual mushroom festival. And if you've never been to the Mushroom Festival before, it's kind of hard to explain exactly what it is. Yesterday, as I was flying into Denver, I had to cross the border because I'm coming in from Canada. And the border agent asked me, like, what are you doing in Colorado? And I told him, well, I'm going to the Mushroom Festival. And he was like, like kind of gave me this look like what's the mushroom festival and i tried to explain it to him i was like well it's this event uh high in the mountains in telluride colorado where a bunch of people get together and celebrate mushrooms and the funny thing was he was saying you know what like i've been hearing a lot about mushrooms lately i've been hearing a lot of research and it seems like a lot of things are changing with with mushrooms and i was like yeah man there's there's lots of really cool things happening and that's what this event is all about is to get together and celebrate mushrooms go foraging for mushrooms and talk about all the things that are changing and all the things that are happening because there is so much but anyways i'm super excited it should be a good day i'm gonna go ahead and get registered and uh, I'm gonna show you guys around. I was super excited to be heading to the Mushroom Festival, but the cool thing about Telluride is even if you weren't going for the mushrooms, the location itself is amazing. It's a town on top of the world, nestled between gorgeous mountains, and every direction you look is awe-inspiring. Okay, got my wristband. And the first thing I want to show you, one of the coolest things about this festival is the mushroom ID tent. And it's basically this tent that has all sorts of mushrooms that people pick through the area and it really helps you kind of try and identify them. So let me show you what it looks like. So they're all looking pretty rough because they've probably been sitting here for a day or so. But, you know, they're all beside these little stations so you can really, you know, take a look at it and try and understand 
exactly what some of these mushrooms are, it just makes it so much easier to identify. Because if you're trying to identify mushrooms from a book or by yourself, it's really, really tough. But if you can get a look for them and a feel for them and actually hold them in your hand, and then even better if you get a chance to talk to one of these mycologists, they can really help you try and identify. One of the main things that happens at the festival are the scheduled forays. You can sign up with a group, head out into the woods, and it really takes a lot of the guesswork out of mushroom hunting and makes it way more fun. You could always just try learning from a book, but the festival has tons of volunteers that really know the mushrooms well and can really speed up your learning process. And they bring back their mushrooms here, they don't really have any idea what they are, and you guys kind of help talk them through it. Right. A lot of cases they have no idea. Some of the people actually have a good idea what they're doing. Right. And they'll have a pretty good idea what they have, and they just, you know, like, I think it's close to this, or it's like that one, and then try and help them with what it is. And for you, are, like, are most of the mushrooms pretty easy to, to identify? Like, if you see something like this, are you like, oh yeah, I, I know exactly what that is, or are a lot of them kind of like, take a little longer to try and figure it out? It depends on how close I want to get for an ID. I'm like, that one there is pretty obvious. That's one I would just look at and go, well, yeah, it's Coponopsis atramentaria. And what's the most common question you get typically with mushrooms? Like, is Can it I eat it? <laughs> <laughs> they want to know, hey, is this good to eat? And yeah, the answer about 95% of the time is, yeah, I, I wouldn't. Most of the mushrooms that are listed in your mushroom guide as an edible mushroom, honestly, are not worth eating. Right. Personally, when I'm teaching mushroom ID and stuff, I tell people, if the mushrooms are not better than the grocery store button mushrooms you can buy, why are you driving out in the woods, all that time, effort, and money, some risk in case you make a misidentification for something that you could have bought for a few bucks a pound back in town? Ed brought up a seemingly reasonable question. Why would you spend all that money, drive out into the woods, hike around for hours fighting mosquitoes, and try to find some mushrooms that you may or may not even find, and likely aren't going to eat anyways? What is it about mushrooms that causes such nonsensical behavior? But again, to people who are not yet be mushroomed, it's kind of hard to explain. And right after I was done talking with Ed in the ID tent, I set out into the woods. So much of the foraging at the Telluride Mushroom Festival doesn't actually happen in Telluride, in town proper. It happens up in the pass, specifically in this area called Lizard Pass. It's definitely over 10,000 feet elevation, gorgeous views, absolutely gorgeous mountains, and usually uh, tons of mushrooms. We're gonna go to a spot that I went to a few years ago that was really good, and hopefully it's good to us again. I can show you what it's like to forage in Telluride. People have been saying that it's a super dry year and that there's gonna be no mushrooms, but like, it feels humid up here and cool. It feels very mushroomy, so I have high hopes. Um, maybe people are just looking in the wrong spot. Turns out, they were right. I did look around to all my favorite spots, to all the places where I expected to see gobs and gobs of mushrooms, but all I found was this itty bitty jelly fungus and a crusty old wood ear. But that was kind of perfect, because sometimes it's dry and there's nothing, where other times it's super fruitful. That's what keeps it interesting. But just so you have an idea of what it could be like, I wanted to share some clips from a previous year when it was really good. 
you can find the famous porcini, both big ones that are full of bugs and little ones that are perfect for an evening meal. In between the pine trees, barely poking through the ground, you can also find chanterelles. It's hard to spot the first one, but once you do, you'll notice that they are everywhere. The high altitude terrain this time of year is also perfect for Amanita muscaria, the most iconic mushroom in the world, growing in massive flushes at all stages of the life cycle. But it's not just the superstars. There are tons of other mushrooms to look for, and it's exciting to share them with the rest of the foray group and work together to try and figure out what they are. It's a front row seat to the astonishing diversity of the kingdom fungi. The fact that it was a bad year for wild mushrooms doesn't really matter. You certainly can come to the Telluride Mushroom Festival for the wild mushrooms, but that isn't really the reason why you'd want to come. There are probably better places to do that. People come for something else. But what exactly is that? Alongside the forays, there are workshops and live demonstrations. You can soak this in and then push your uh, straw out on a table and then it kills all the anaerobes and now you have a, basically a, past, a microbial pasteurized medium. Well, thank you for coming. My name is Andrew Wilson and I'm here to talk about systematic relationships of macrofungi. There's lectures on broad topics like athletes benefiting from mushrooms. You know, when I talk about mushrooms and the guys, my teammates see me, they're like, Eat this and go to work? Or why are tripping out? Like, yo, we still need an REI. To cross that bridge into a realm of the NFL and that work with their mental health, physical health, spiritual health. And niche topics like the diversity of Ganoderma throughout the US. Lots of variations here. You can see differences in color. All of them have that varnish-like um, characteristic of the, of the surface. There are also lots of vendors showing off super cool things that they are doing, from handcrafted mushroom mugs and t-shirts to mushroom extracts and other goodies. But even with all that, there is still something more. The specialness of this festival is hard to describe. Well, it's unique of all the mushroom festivals. And it doesn't just focus on the science and the latest research. It focuses on the community, the art, the culture, the music, literally the poetry. <laughs> And it's been run for so long that it's developed its own culture around the festival. And just to like get a glimpse of it and participate in it a little bit feels like you find your people, you know? Like there's a common ground here and it's fungi. How would you describe this to like someone who doesn't know anything about mushrooms and never has been here before? <laughs> this is like the nerdiest, well, it's actually take that back. It's not the nerdiest of the nerdiest. There's far nerdier mushroom festivals. This is probably the most fun though that people have by evidence of the way that people are dressed, the attitudes towards things. Level of discussion isn't as intensely scientific as many places, but it's a little bit more open-minded, but it's not entirely like hippied out like I was afraid it would be. There's a lot of very scientific, very knowledgeable people here. I think it could be summed up by the sign that I saw. Like, you know, those silly memes, but the, the sign said like, we love mushrooms, change our mind. So it's basically a yay, mushrooms are good event. A whole group of people come here and basically worship mushrooms. Just like a total oath and pledge to the good graces and beings and all the magical medicinal properties of fungi. It isn't something that can really be explained. You kind of have to catch the bug. But I've never met a person ever in nine of them that's had a bad time at Telluride. This is also a very countercultural event. Psychoactive mushrooms are a part of that. They're not the relevant part of it. It's all mushrooms and all folks who come here 
are invaded and pervaded with that spirit that then they carry out into the world. It really is like family and like you miss your family during the year and you live off the memories you made with this family that you meet here and you meet new family every time you come and it's always somebody's first time and there's always people who just, well, we just drove in for the day, what's this mushroom stuff? And then you give of yourself to, to collectively and they're hooked and then you see them the next year. There is no explaining this. It doesn't make any sense. It just is and is wonderful. And we are so grateful for it. So grateful for it. Maybe the best way to explain it all is by watching the parade. It's this classic moment during the festival that serves as the unofficial closing ceremony. People get dressed up in all sorts of super intricate costumes, pound the drums, and follow the Amanita truck all the way down Main Street all along the way expressing their profound love for mushrooms. One, two, three, we love about mushrooms and all the different ways that mushrooms can touch their lives whether it be functional mushrooms or psilocybin mushrooms or people who are growing mushrooms or people that have mushroom businesses or even people that just like to cook and eat or forage mushrooms it really does touch so many people in so many different ways which is really cool and that's basically what the telluride mushroom festival is about I hope you enjoyed that. I sure had a fun time being there. Now, if you saw that and you thought, hey, that's pretty cool. Maybe I want to go check that out next year. Make sure you head over to their website. Just Google Telluride Mushroom Festival. It will take you to tellurideinstitute.org and sign up to their mailing list because let me tell you, tickets do sell out pretty quick. So you want to be on their mailing list to make sure you're notified of the 44th annual festival and all the information that you'll need to go and enjoy the event. 
This episode of The Mushroom Show is brought to you by Fresh Cap Mushrooms, pure and powerful mushroom extracts to help you achieve your health goals. We know mushrooms are powerful, but not all mushroom products are created equal, which is one of the reasons why we started Fresh Cap in the first place. We wanted to create something that would really do justice to the power that mushrooms have so that you could feel the full benefits, which is why our mushrooms are made from organic whole fruiting body. They're thoroughly extracted and tested for active compounds. Fresh Cap supplements are made right so you can experience the full benefits of mushrooms. Check us out on Amazon. Just search for Fresh Cap Mushrooms and you'll find us there. Or you can head over to freshcap.com where you can use code The Mushroom Show to get 10% off your first order. Let's get back to the show. On to our next story. Now, mushrooms and mushroom foraging is something that's getting more popular every single day. But even though there is that immense popularity, it's not very often that an entire nation becomes enthralled by a story that has mushrooms at the center of it. Unfortunately, in this case, it's not one to be celebrated, but it does serve as an opportunity to expose a wider audience to one of the most interesting mushrooms in the world that also happens to be one of the deadliest mushrooms in the world, Amanita phylloides, also known as the death cap. I am, of course, talking about the recent case in Australia that involves mushrooms, the media, and possibly murder. Now, if you've been following this case at all, you might have noticed that much of the reporting has been kind of a whodunit, with people speculating whether or not the mushroom poisoning that killed three and hospitalized another was just a simple accident or if it was something more nefarious. The case involves Erin Patterson, a woman from Victoria, Australia, who had hosted a lunch of Beef Wellington, inviting her mother and father-in-law, Gail and Don Patterson, both 70 years old, and also Gail's sister Heather, 66 years old, and her husband Ian, who was 68. The now infamous lunch, which again was Beef Wellington, cooked and served by Erin, allegedly contained the highly poisonous deathcap mushrooms, which led to the death of Gail, Dawn, and Heather, and left Ian with severe liver damage fighting for his life. Now, to be clear, I really don't want to speculate whether this poisoning was an accident or whether it was murder or anything else in between, because I really only know about the story from what I've been reading in the news. And let me tell you, some of the reporting I've seen has been quite the stretch. Either way, though, this is a really interesting story, and I was hoping to add some clarity around some of the questions people were asking specifically about the mushrooms in this case. First of all, what even is a death cap mushroom? A common name like that is certainly ominous, and for good reason. This mushroom, again known as Amanita phylloides, is the deadliest mushroom in the world. Pound for pound, it might even be one of the deadliest natural substances known to man. That's because it contains deadly amatoxins, specifically one called alpha-amanitin, which is incredibly toxic, especially to the liver. It works by inhibiting your liver's ability to make proteins and eventually leads to organ failure and death. If you were to accidentally eat this mushroom, the prognosis is not good. It doesn't kill everybody, but it kills a high percentage of its victims. And either way, it can be incredibly damaging to your internal organs. You might think that in order for a beef wellington to have enough mushroom in there to kill three people, there would need to be a whole whack of mushrooms in the dish. But that is not necessarily the case. Remember, this is one of the most toxic natural substances in the entire world. So even eating just a small portion of a single cap would be enough to send anyone to the hospital. Eating half a cap or more could be enough to kill. So yes, if there was any decent amount of death cap mushrooms in this beef wellington, that could be enough to kill three people. 
But you might also be wondering, if this mushroom is so deadly, why is there no antidote? Why is there nothing you can do about it when you go to the hospital? And the answer is, although there are some treatments and some ways that people try to help people who've been poisoned by the death cap, there is no specific antidote. And one of the reasons why is because, again, this doesn't happen that often, so probably not a lot of resources and research has gone into discovering the perfect antidote for Amanita phylloides. That being said, there was some very recent news about a promising new potential antidote, and we did cover this on The Mushroom Show not that long ago. Basically, some clever scientists used something called CRISPR technology to sequence the mushroom's DNA, determine what exactly was causing these ill effects, and then ran a scan of all known chemicals to see if there's anything out there that would serve as an antidote by blocking the action that the offending compounds in the mushroom have on the liver. Amazingly, they did find one. It's called Indocyanine Green and was actually created by Kodak to be used for medical imaging. So critically, it's already been approved, at least in that capacity, for use in humans. Still, to date, since this is relatively new, no one has yet used it on humans to try and see if it can act as an antidote in a real use case, but maybe this story will accelerate that process. Now, an important thing to note about the death cap, and in this case in particular, is that Amanita floides grows in the wild. It cannot be cultivated. But just because it grows in the wild doesn't mean it's rare. This mushroom is actually quite abundant and seemingly is becoming more and more common every single year. One reason is because it has actually evolved to be able to reproduce with only a single hyphae, which allows it to grow way faster than it has historically, because it can reproduce way more efficiently. So there does seem to be more occurrences of it showing up in the wild. So you might be wondering, since the death cap is just growing out there in the wild, along with all the other mushrooms that people are foraging for and eating, is this mushroom easy to identify? Is it easy to avoid? This point is kind of important in this story because according to some of the reporting, Aaron was a experienced mushroom forager or an experienced fungi forager, which kind of tries to insinuate that this was potentially a nefarious act because you think if you were experienced, you would know exactly what to avoid and you would not pick death caps. Again, I don't wanna speculate, but reading this headline did make me ask the question, do you think it's possible that an experienced forager could accidentally harvest a death cap? And it might be a little counterintuitive, but it's not entirely unreasonable for an expert forager to make a mistake like this. If you are a beginner forager, you might be super cautious, as you probably should be. Again, we don't wanna be fearful of mushrooms or induce any kind of mycophobia, but at the end of the day, you do need to respect wild mushrooms when foraging. So that caution usually steers beginners away from the entire Amanita genus. Amanita phylloides is the species within the genus Amanita, and within the Amanita genus, there are deadly mushrooms, but there are also edible mushrooms. But again, beginner foragers are just told or probably advised to just avoid the entire genus altogether. So even though it is possible for a beginner forager to maybe misidentify a button stage death cap for a puffball or mistake it for a paddy straw mushroom, they're probably not looking for Amanitas at all in the first place. Now an experienced forager might be a little more bold in the mushrooms that they choose to pick. And as the saying goes, there are old mushroom hunters and there are bold mushroom hunters, but there are not any old bold mushroom hunters 
without liver damage. Again, I'm not saying at all that that's what I think happened in this specific case, but it's definitely what I was thinking about when I read this headline. Keep in mind though that the most common reason for fatal death cap poisonings is because of a misidentification of Volvariella vulvaceae, also known as the patty straw mushroom. And this is one right here. You can see it kind of looks like a little egg on the outside, but if I flip it around, you can see, you know, there's a little tiny mushroom on the inside. And this is the patty straw mushroom. It can be cultivated. It is very commonly found in grocery stores and many parts of the world. But when it's young um, and when the death cap is young, they kind of look similar. So what happens is somebody who might have a lot of experience with the patty straw mushroom, either cultivating it or seeing it in the grocery store in another country, could be walking around in Australia and see the death cap growing on the, on the floor and say, hey, that's a patty straw mushroom. And they could harvest them, cook them up and feed them to a bunch of people. And obviously that has a horrible outcome. But again, this is the most common reason for serious death cap poisonings. And there are many such cases of this happening. Some other seemingly important details in this story, for one, news reports seem to be really focused on a particular dehydrator. It's like the smoking gun in the case. Apparently there was a food dehydrator that Aaron had brought to the dump the day after the fatal meal. But why would that be important? Well, again, if these mushrooms that were used were indeed the death cap, they can't be cultivated, so you need to wild harvest them, which means you wouldn't really be able to time when you wanted to use them, so you would have to dry them, and you would do that in a dehydrator. You can test for this, so if there was indeed residue of the death cat mushroom on this dehydrator that was disposed of that day, well, that would be pretty interesting to know for investigators. Finally, Erin allegedly stated that she had bought the mushrooms at the grocery store. She used two different types of mushrooms, normal button mushrooms or agaricus mushrooms, but also a bag of dried mushrooms that she had bought at the store. This was also reported as being highly suspicious, but it also prompts a question like, is this even possible? Could someone accidentally pick up death cap mushrooms at a store or could death cap mushrooms somehow be mixed in with the other mushrooms at a store? I'm gonna say that that is highly, highly, highly unlikely. Nobody should have concern about buying mushrooms from the grocery store. Mushroom farming and mushroom production is a huge industry and something like this happening just wouldn't really make any sense. There are way too many checks and balances for that to realistically happen. And even then there would probably be an order of magnitude more reported poisonings if this were ever to happen. Of course, it will be really interesting to see how this turns out when facts are separated from fiction, but either way, this will definitely go down as one of the most infamous mushroom poisonings ever to happen, and will definitely make an entry on the Wikipedia page for Amanita Floides. I am just hopeful that this story doesn't cause any unnecessary mycophobia. Again, we should definitely be respectful of mushrooms, especially if we're wild foraging, but we shouldn't be fearful of mushrooms. It's not like mushrooms are out there trying to get us. At the end of the day, it just shows that mushrooms are powerful. They are creating all sorts of interesting compounds. Some of them have psychoactive effects. Some of them can actually kill you. And some of them are benign or just kind of nutritious. And some of them have powerful functional properties that can have huge benefits to our health. The mushrooms are just growing and creating these compounds. They're not trying to kill us or they're not trying to make us healthier, but that doesn't mean that they can't. 
And that's it for this episode of The Mushroom Show. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for being here. Again, if you like mushrooms, if you like The Mushroom Show, please go ahead and hit that like button. It really helps the channel grow. And if you wanna see future episodes of the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button as well. I really think we can get to 500,000 subscribers this year, which would be absolutely awesome. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you wanna help us out with that goal. Again, thank you so much for watching and we'll see you in the next episode.